Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This Life Science Focus podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing a new home sleep monitoring device and Johnson & Johnson and IBM hit with a class action lawsuit over patient data breach. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Sydney Perlmutter and Vera Kobachevich. Thanks for coming today. I'm going to start us off with a story about Johnson & Johnson and IBM being hit with a class action lawsuit over a patient data breach. So Johnson & Johnson could be facing yet another class action lawsuit. And of course, uh, the company has been in the news for um, being hit with a lot of lawsuits as pertaining to its baby powder scandal. But this time, it's not for that. Uh, this time, it's for a patient data breach that occurred uh, back in August. So Johnson & Johnson and computer software company giant IBM may be uh, up against a class action lawsuit over a patient data breach at Janssen CarePath, which is Johnson & Johnson's uh, patient assistance program. And the portal for that is run by IBM. The lawsuit was filed with the federal court in the Southern District of New York by uh, somebody in Florida who claimed that the companies failed to adequately protect patients' personal identity and health information as per the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. The plaintiff is being represented by Lynch Carpenter, which is investigating the claims. So when the data breach occurred, IBM notified Janssen CarePath um, in September, saying that the data incident may have included individuals' full names, contact details, and also information related to health insurance and medications. And all of this information was collected as part of the Janssen CarePath application. So when patients first enroll for the for the program. So IBM said that Janssen noticed a technical problem in the care path portal and alerted IBM. Then IBM conducted an investigation and found that there had been unauthorized access to personal information in the database on August the 2nd, but it couldn't determine the extent of the breach. So Lynch Carpenter, again, the... Uh, the firm, the law firm that's representing the plaintiff suing uh, the companies said that the cybersecurity attack could have potentially impacted the personal information of over a million patients. So the Janssen CarePath online platform is free for registered patients, and it provides patients and healthcare professionals in the U.S. with information about things like insurance coverage, out-of-pocket costs, and prescribing information about medications. So while Johnson & Johnson's patient assistance platform, uh, CarePath, holds information including patient names, dates of birth, contact information, medication details, health conditions, and so on, IBM said that it doesn't have information like social security, security numbers, or bank accounts. So IBM has assured users that the problem has been fixed, 
And after the incident, patients are being offered one year of credit monitoring just as a uh, just in case anything um, did leak on that front. However, for individuals like the Florida resident uh, who is suing the companies, um, the offer isn't good enough. Uh, so the plaintiff, uh, Elaine Melanowski, says that she was notified of the data breach on September 15th in a letter. And she said that the security incident made her uncomfortable because her personal information and all of her health information is out there. So she proposed a class action lawsuit involving thousands of patients that were impacted by the breach. So these kinds of security breaches um, are not new in the pharma world. So other big pharma companies like Merck, Pfizer, Roche, and AstraZeneca have faced uh, such issues in the recent past. Uh, and recently, uh, ASI, which is co-developer of the recently approved Alzheimer's drug Lecambi, um, fell victim to a ransomware attack in June. And uh, because of that, several of the company's systems had to be taken offline. And in addition, regulators are also not immune to cyber attacks. So in December 2020, the European Medicines Agency, or the EMA, announced that it had been subject to one in which documents relating to, to the Pfizer BioNTech COVID vaccine um, had been accessed illegally. And according to an IBM 2020 data breach report, data breaches in the pharma industry cost an average of $5 million to remediate. And in that report, the healthcare industry topped the list of average total cost of a cyber attack with a data breach in healthcare costing just over $7 million. And according to the same report, on average, roughly half of all data breaches across some of the biggest industries, including healthcare, pharma, technology, transportation, retail, finan financial, etc., um, are caused by malicious attacks, and the other half are caused by system glitches and human error. So lawsuits involving data breaches have uh, resulted in pretty big payouts. So in healthcare, Scripps Health agreed to pay around $3.6 million to 1.2 million patients in 2022 over a breach that occurred in 2021. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. I know, um, you know, over on the food podcast with Sydney, we've heard a lot about uh, security data breaches and uh, ransomware attacks occurring in the food industry. And again, no industry is immune to it. So it seems that uh, uh, the latest to be hit is Johnson and Johnson in pharma. And uh, so what do you think about this plaintiff that's suing the company over over this? Do you think the companies, I mean, had any control? I mean, it doesn't seem they had any control over something like this. But do you think maybe their response could have been better? Or and and or now looking to the future, how can companies be better equipped and prepared for such attacks. I'm actually surprised that they weren't already um, prepared just given, <laughs> you just given the number yeah. of um, cyber attacks that have happened in various other industries. You'd think that, you know, these are relatively big stories. You see them on the news. And I would think that um, companies would acknowledge that this happens and devise their own plans and hire external, you know, um, 
agencies to sort of deal with their cybersecurity, um, because really that's if they can't do it internally, then the only way to do it is hiring professionals and they can obviously afford it. Um, and I do not blame the person who started the class action lawsuit. I mean, I think it's you never want, you know, any risk of your information getting out there and you are, um, I think, legally, I mean, this would be breaking the law if if her information got out there right so she has a right uh, for uh, to privacy so i don't i don't think it was an overreaction i think it's justified and i hope she uh gets justice and that um johnson johnson learns from this but you know that's a, a pharma company learning from a mistake is maybe a little uh far-fetched so yeah, I definitely agree with Sydney. And what I also thought about this story, Aisha, is that, um, you know, the story between Janssen and IBM is that they were like, oh, thousands of uh, patients were affected, but we're not quite sure of the number of people. And also over a million people have used this care path program last year. So, you know, it's thousands, but we're not sure exactly how much. And um, I guess they emailed, I mean, sorry, they sent the notification letters to thousands of patients, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm assuming. Um, yeah, but I think it's a big issue that they're not even sure who, how many, yeah, and why. <clears throat> exactly. And this is after conducting an investigation, right? Um, so I'm not really sure you know, the depth and breadth of that investigation or whether they just don't want to disclose many details around it. So yeah, it is concerning for sure, especially in uh, sectors like healthcare and, and pharma, where you have, um, you know, very sensitive patient data on file. And for that to be accessed like that or, or leaked, that's uh, a cause for con concern, definitely. And it's, uh, I think, I, in my, I don't know, it just seems like the companies are kind of just handling it softly and kind of not maybe trying to brush over or glaze over the issue, just kind of like, okay, it happened, let's move on. But I think they really need to come up with like, you know, better um, solutions, of course, and and also to to satisfy their their customers that are using this, that, you know, you know, we are taking measures to um, implement more safety measures and things like that. So I think that didn't come across from the companies from Johnson and Johnson and Janssen. So I think that's why that's led patients to, you know, question things. And, uh, so yeah, this, um, person that's suing them, I think, it, you know, she wasn't happy that they should, number one, she was informed so late of the data breach. It was like more than a month after the fact. So I think they could have handled it a lot better and hope they they do in the future if anything like this happens again hopefully not yeah and typically i mean i'm all for like the digitization of health records yeah yeah you know because they make things so convenient um <clears throat> in, in a vast amount of ways however they also you know you run the risk of things like this happening and i'm not at all advocating for oh back to the uh back to paper and pencil like i i don't think that's the way to go but then you know if you are going to fully digitize you need to mm -hmm. you, you must implement better cybersecurity uh, um measures that is such a great point such an important point for sure because that's what we're seeing this digitalization this revolution you know uh hitting healthcare and pharma and things like that so 
with that comes exactly you need to have those safeguards in place to navigate all of these um you know security issues potential security issues and things like that so i think very very important point yeah for sure all right moving on to our next story and this is about a new at-home sleep monitoring device that recently won clearance from the fda so Switzerland-based medtech startup Sleepbiz AG has been granted FDA Class 2 510K uh, clearance for its bedside device that measures vital signs during sleep. So the device is called Sleepbiz One Plus, and what it offers is short and long-term monitoring of vital signs like heart rate and respiration during sleep. Uh, to provide insights into a patient's physiological status. And the class two clearance means that doctors can prescribe the device to patients for monitor monitoring these vital signs, as well as screening for conditions like sleep apnea. So sleep is says that the device helps monitor disease progression or remission and allows for timely interventions and patient centric care. So how does the device work? Well, it uses radar technology to monitor a patient's vital signs uh, right at their bedside by measuring macro and micro movements from heart contractions and breathing patterns in a contactless manner. The signals are then transformed by proprietary AI uh, technology into actionable data for healthcare professionals to use and uh, make uh, more informed and timely decisions about a patient's care. So the information that's collected and analyzed by the device can help, uh, once again, in the early detection of conditions like sleep apnea and also monitor early changes in chronic conditions. So in a press release, Sleep is said that the FDA clearance opens doors for seamless integration of the Sleep is One Plus device into remote patient monitoring and clinical study platforms as well. And this integration empowers healthcare professionals with comprehensive respiration and heart rate monitoring capabilities to deliver medical data for actionable insights and informed decision-making. So sleep apnea affects more than 800 million people worldwide. And in addition to tiredness and poor quality of life, uh, the long-term impacts of the condition can be quite serious and they include an increased risk for chronic diseases like hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, and stroke. And current diagnostic methods to diagnose sleep apnea through um, sleep apnea testing at clinics or hospitals, um, is, you know, those methods are quite cumbersome. So that's why many patients actually remain undiagnosed. Uh, sleep is says that the, that their device can also be particularly useful in cases where remote patient monitoring is required for patients with chronic respiratory illnesses. And there are more than 34 million people in the U.S., according to the American Lung Association, that suffer from chronic respiratory illnesses. So Sleep is One Plus also received CE Mark certification in October 2020. And again, the idea is that um, this is a completely wireless, um, contactless device, and you just put it on, you know, on a bedside table beside you while you sleep, while you sleep, and it's able to extract data or extract um, uh, macro and micro movements uh, when you're sleeping, and and uh, analyze that data 
to give uh, you information about your heart rate and respiratory condition. So according to data published in scientific reports, uh, the Sleep is One Plus device has an accuracy of 99% in measuring breathing rate and 96% in heart rate measurements compared with gold standard methods. And so through devices like Sleep is One Plus, a Zurich-based medtech company, again, based in Switzerland, uh, Sleep is says that it's dedicated to revolutionizing healthcare and enhancing the quality of care for patients and healthcare professionals alike. And again, the goal is to provide patient-centric disease management through contactless monitoring right in people's homes. So Sleep is recently partnered with Clario to make the device available to clinical trial researchers conducting studies on sleep. So once again, this device um, is not only available for patients and consumers, but also in clinical studies. Um, and as we know, uh, with remote monitoring in, and in decentralized trials, the use of such devices is um, increasing and uh, really important to gather important data for uh, trials. So Sleep is says that the device is available for consumers, for patients, uh, for reimbursement via remote patient monitoring codes and allows for 16 out of the 30 days of measurements for current procedural terminology billing. Um, and according to a 2022 global data report, the remote patient monitoring device market will hit $760 million by 2030. Um, at a compound annual growth rate of 3.3% from 2020 to 2030. So what do you guys think about this new device? And uh, there's actually a picture of it in the article that I wrote. That I wrote. So you can see it's pretty compact and it just looks like a little alarm clock, almost like a traditional alarm clock, just like sitting on your bedside table, but very powerful, it seems. And would you be interested in... Um, using this kind of a device. And I think of that, you know, when, whenever we talk about these kinds of uh, devices, it's always like, uh, I always want to ask people like, do you, what kind of devices do you use now? Or, or are you thinking of using to monitor your health? You know, this reminds me, there's actually, I think apps you can download on your phone, which are supposed to um, help or there's like, I know for sure there's like wristwatches, which can give you some information about your sleep yeah. as well. Um, but it was so interesting to me, like, to be honest, that you um, wrote about this story because I actually did a sleep test in a sleep clinic last week. No way. And um, nice. of course, I slept way worse than I would sleep at home over it's, there yeah. because mm -hmm. they hook you up to so many wires. There was like over 20 wires and then they... Um, yeah. put like an oximeter clip on my finger. So imagine trying to sleep with something clipped Wait, onto exactly. your finger. It, you can't even move your hand really. And then they put some things literally up my nose, <laughs> uh, which I guess it's for breathing, like measuring breathing. And, and there was like two things in my nose actually. Mm -hmm. And because I'm a side sleeper, of course, those things fell out while I was oh, sleeping. Gosh, yeah. So it was, it was an interesting experience. Um, I think obviously contactless monitoring is the way to go because i'm telling you right now like you will not be able to sleep the same in a sleep clinic because there's just so many things hooked up to you that you feel very uncomfortable and it did take me a longer time to fall asleep for sure um but i think like a lot of people 
suffer or they have um, difficulties with sleeping. And honestly, I, I do think the COVID-19 pandemic and just that anxiety from that made it worse for so many people mm -hmm. that I think devices like this one, mm -hmm. they're really needed. Um, mm -hmm. And it's great how they're also going to make it available for use in clinical trials um, because yeah, I just think it's, even though I can't give you the amount of information that like a sleep right. study in a clinic mm -hmm. can give, I think it's just way more convenient and, and the information that it does provide is probably more like reliable, like more realistic, mm, I would say. Yep more reflective of your actual sleep patterns as opposed to being hooked up to so many uh, things in a clinical setting at, at a hospital or like in a doctor's office or wherever. Uh, so yeah, that's the polysomnography testing, which continues to be the gold standard for sleep apnea testing. But yeah, I mean, like you're saying firsthand experience here that you're sharing with us, Vera, Vera, that like it, it, it cannot really reflect like your actual sleeping patterns because you're in a new place. Number one, it's always hard to sleep in a new, in a new place. And then to have all of this cumbersome equipment attached to you. So yeah, great points there for sure. And, um, yeah, it, it just seems that, that, um, I think people are aware how important sleep is, but I think, yeah, like things like the pandemic and just our fast paced, uh, lifestyles and just a lot of anxiety inducing triggers around us. Um, really does impact the quality of sleep that um, we experience. And I think uh, devices like this can maybe really give us um, important insights into how we're doing health-wise, right? Like it, it measures your heart rate, respiratory rate as well. So, and that could, you know, be eye-opening for some people and really help them to make more informed decisions and maybe to be more um, active and proactive about their health. Yeah, I was going to, maybe this is naive of me to say, but, um, you know, does no one at sleep clinics or in the history of sleep clinics acknowledge that maybe it's not going to be accurate? Like, mm -hmm. I just, it, it's unfathomable to me that that is still the gold standard when yeah. you and literally everybody else, Vera, that I know who's done mm -hmm. a sleep lab or been, done, gone to a sleep clinic has said the exact same thing. And how can you really extract any valuable information about your sleep if it's if you've got so many things around you? So I don't know. It seems so obvious to me that it wouldn't be accurate. <laughs> So I don't know why it's still the gold standard. And I, yeah, I give props to this company um, because I think, yeah, your, your best chances of a more accurate, reliable sleep are at home uh, without a bunch of wires yep. on you or in you. So yeah, definitely great points. And uh, it just seems that, yeah, sleep apnea testing, I think now in recent years and a couple of years since I've been covering um, you know, medical device stories and things like that. I've been seeing a lot more companies in the space and coming out with these devices, but before, before this, it was just like, yeah. But even then, like the polysomnography still remains the gold standard. I just think there hasn't been a lot of work in the area, but, um, now I, I do see a lot more promising work with companies like uh, sleep is, and there are a handful of others, um, working to really make non-invasive, um, sleep apnea testing 
uh, more available. And uh, hopefully we see the gold standard change <laughs> soon because, yeah, it definitely cannot reflect an individual's actual sleep patterns. Yeah, the only thing I was going to add is the only thing where you probably need like contact is the in the sleep study, like they clip on some wires to your head. I'm not exactly sure what that was for. Maybe it's for like um, monitoring like brain activity, maybe brain um, activity. Yeah, right. I think for so that you need contact. Yeah. <laughs> Tapping to your dreams. <laughs> yeah, I think that obviously cannot be done like wirelessly. That would be some crazy technology. But I think everything else, um, eventually they can get it wireless. Right. And you never know. I mean, the technology, you know, with uh, AI and all of these things, it is uh, growing really quickly. So you never know when, you know, we might see uh, a lot more features in these kinds of devices uh, pretty soon. So I think, uh, I think it's like well overdue because, yeah, we really need to uh have better ways to measure something as important as sleep <laughs> all right that's the end of this episode of the x talks life science podcast if you liked today's show don't forget to rate review and subscribe thank you everyone and see you all next week bye bye, bye. Thanks for listening to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.